this show is not for the easily offended. So if you are easily offended, go listen to something else. Welcome to Comic Book Noise. I'm your host, Derek Howard. Comic Book Noise can be found at comicbooknoise.com. And as part of the Deliberate Noise Network, for more details, please go to deliberatenoise.com. If you'd like to send feedback, you can email me. My email address is Derek, that's D-E-R-E-K, at comicbooknoise.com. Or you can call the audio comment line at 734-331-0772. Um... All right, and I would like to thank uh, the patrons, um, which uh, they're on Patreon. Um, Comic Book Noise, I think it was there. I don't know. Anyway, um, I'd like to thank the following people for. Um, okay. All right. Okay. I'd like to thank the following people for help keeping this. Uh, this shambling mess of a mess going. Uh, Dave Slusher, I uh, thank you. Uh, Bruce Rosenberger, thank you. Ed Moore Jr., thank you. Vicious Smith, thank you. Rick, thank you. Ken Kennedy, thank you. Chris, thank you. Dave Levine, thank you. Frankie DeJesus, thank you. And Sean Crump, thank you one and all. I really appreciate it. Okay. Um, all right, so, yeah. Then on this show, I'm going to talk a little bit about... Um, uh, Fantastic Four, uh, Bitter Root Volume Two, as well as some uh, Kickstarters that I have uh, uh, backed in the past. So, anyway, hope you enjoy it. All right, I just finished reading um, Fantastic Four number twenty-nine. Now, Fantastic Four is one of the few books I still have on my pull list, and. If I'm not mistaken, it is the only Marvel that I have on my pull list. Um, just, just simply because, um, pretty much just a long time FF fan, you know? And this one is a crossover with the King in Black mega crossover series. And normally, I, uh, I haven't been reading the crossovers, um, especially for Marvel. Um, I'm not gonna say especially for Marvel. It's just that the stuff that they announced hasn't enthused me in a while. Um, but to tell you the truth, it's sort of better than the DC crossover solicitations that I happen to see, where it's just like, hey, we're going to have another Joker take over the world or another Batman or something. I don't know. It's all Batman slash Joker related stuff that produced I'm just not interested in. Anyway, for um for Marvel the last thing I remember I can't I want to say it's King of Swords or something like that. Or War of Kings or something. Or War of Swords. I don't know. Anyway, it had um 
it was the the scroll and the Cree that teamed up or they were fighting each other. I don't know. I don't know. It was it was a crossover Fantastic Four couple of issues and quite frankly it's how most um crossover issues go where all of a sudden out of nowhere the the story that you're reading in the, in the previous issue had nothing to do with that one um you know they stay would be <laughs> it's just all of a sudden uh god all of a sudden, I don't know where the the story begins, like in the middle of the scene, you know. It's like last thing we knew the, the Fantastic Four was all together or they were going out to dinner or something crazy. But the next issue, um Johnny and, and Ben are someplace while reading sewer off in another dimension and oh no who's watching the kids you know that kind of stuff um and the only thing that it really introduced was um pretty much this this young scroll and this young Cree who were adopted by Ben and Alicia you know I don't, I don't even remember their names um even though I just read this story with him. But anyway, that was the last one. This one, to me, was a lot better because it seemed a lot more organic. You know, the the Fantastic Four were off doing Fantastic Four things, and all of a sudden, dragons start falling from the sky. <laughs> and then they find, oh no, these aren't dragons. These are actually Venom symbiotes run by this guy named Null. And it's like, okay that's what this crossover must be about you know <laughs> it's like here we go this is the situation that, that that the world finds itself in and this is how the fantastic four got involved i like introductions like that i like that they just like ease us into what was going on instead of just automatically say, oh yeah you have to go read this issue over here to figure out how they got into this spot it's like no this is how they got involved and not only was it how they got involved but the storylines from previously weren't just ignored you know or or put on pause there's actually a story progression that had been building up to this point with um sue and her suspicions of johnny's soulmate sky um which did not progress in the way that I thought it was going to progress, um, but I, I I did like it. Um, Sue actually learned something about herself, which is actually uh, pretty good to me because Sue is one of my favorite characters, and I like the little things that they that they do with her. But I really like when they do big things with her. You know, it was one of the best parts about Heroes Reborn was that. Sue was the leader of the Fantastic Four. You know, just, I don't know, but she was the leader. Um, and it made sense, you know. So the fact that she's learning that uh, she made a, a, a bad assumption, <laughs> a poor assumption, um, I kind of like. And just something that sort of it freaks me out about uh, the writers of the uh, Fantastic Four because every now and then they'll do 
something that's um, you know a lot more realistic. But then when you think about it in context of the whole Marvel universe, it, it, it makes no sense. You know, there was this one, um, there was this one uh, story in the Marvel Knights Four book where they were worried about aliens. You know, they were being hunted by aliens while they were off um, at, a, at, a, at a campfire site, and it's just like. They, they, they were trying to figure out, you know, which aliens are, are these, you know? It's just supposed to be, supposed to give like a like an X-File sort of vibe, but it was just kind of silly, because it's like, yeah, okay, you know that this stuff happens. Um, and then this issue, uh, there's something that they have been saying that um, Johnny and Storm are soulmates, and there's this device on on Star's arm that pretty much lets her know what is wrong with you, dog. That pretty much lets her know where Johnny is, how he's doing, all that kind of stuff. And Sue's just like, "Oh, we don't need this this mumbo jumbo, hocus pocus bullshit," you know. But she, she hangs out with Doctor Strange. As I was saying, she hangs out with um, magicians, you know? She hangs out with Dr. Strange. Hell, Agatha Harkness used to be her babysitter. So she knows magic is real, right? So why all of a sudden she's like, she can't believe it in this instance? They're going to have to do some 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 explaining about that because it makes no sense, you know? Um, yeah, it's like... It's like if D, in DC when they say, hey, we have... Evidence of extraterrestrials. Yeah, it's called Superman. Anyway, so I did like that. There was, um, they actually give you a reason to want to read other issues with the uh, crossover. There's a conversation between Spider Man and Johnny that's only hinted at in this issue that I'm pretty sure that they flesh out. And, um, was it King of King and Black number two? Um, but I I like that and the way that they left it off on a big cliffhanger it's something that obviously happens in the in the the main series but it's you see it from like the <laughs> I guess the the the, the non um, crossover reading audience gets to see it happen almost organically you know. Um, and I, I really dug it. I really dig this, and I'm actually looking for looking forward to reading the next part. Anyway, I just wanted to to to, to record that real quick. So yeah. All right, I finished reading. What is it? The second volume of um, of uh, Bitterroot. And I'll tell you right now, I really enjoyed it, and I cannot wait to read Volume Three. Uh, volume Two is called Rage and Redemption, um, and it doesn't exactly begin where the last volume ended. Um, last volume ended with them like pretty much in the shit, you know. 
so you know I'm like okay this is a bit of a cliffhanger let's see what the next one is gonna have and it actually starts off with a uh, a collection of, of, of short stories that um, look into the past of a bunch of the different characters um, and it doesn't exactly get you caught up but it gets you gives you more information on these characters it was originally um, <laughs> collected in the uh, the Red Summer special um, and it like I said it doesn't talk about the the overall continuing story but it sort of fills in some backstory and some of the characters and you're thinking okay this is a good way to slow things down but once you um once they get into the story proper uh you get to see where why those um short stories you know the, the special was so important it uh flesh out some of the characters, some of the motivations, and, you know, some of the history. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed that. It kind of reminded me of, um, hold on, you don't really need to read the special, um, because I was, I was actually paying very close attention to say, okay, is there anything in this story that would be confusing if I hadn't read the Red Summer special? And the answer is no. It just fills in um, backstory, you know. Fills in some stuff that you could only have guessed at if you hadn't read it. Um, it's it sort of, but kind of not, reminds me of uh, World War Hulk by Marvel. When there was this big deal about how um, Tony Stark had created this, this serum that was going to incapacitate the Hulk. And that was going to help them win the battle. Uh, but it didn't work. And it's like, oh no, Tony was wrong. But if you actually read an issue of... Um, what is it? The Irredeemable Ant-Man. Then you would know that Ant-Man had broken into Stark's lab and switched things around. You know, he, he switched the serum something that was not going to work I think he did by accident maybe done on purpose I don't remember it's been a long time but I do remember that happening I do remember thinking okay <laughs> so if you read this Ant-Man story it answers a question but if you you know it, it gives you some history answers a question that you may or might not have had but if you didn't read it the story you know, the, the original story still works, you know. And that's one thing that I actually liked about uh, World War Hulk um, is all the, the different backstories and what was going on um, outside of the main story. But uh, with this one, you <laughs> like I said, it, it sort of fills in some some uh, pieces I should say it embellishes some pieces because it doesn't fill in, doesn't give you something that you absolutely need to understand it. But if you read it, then you would understand more. That's basically what I'm saying. Um, I'm trying not to spoil anything, but this whole volume happens over the course of a few hours. And it's like, I guess what, six issues? And you... 
a lot of times, like even with something like um, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earth, where everybody's in the shit and, you know, you're supposed to be thinking, okay, you know, the world is, is, is collapsing all around. Um, and there's like this sense of, of, of hurriedness and dread. And I got that from this, you know, where everything is falling around, um, all around you. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to turn. Um, and it seems like the end of the world. You know, and I'm not going to say whether the world ends or not. Um, and you could think, well, the world is still here, but this is an entirely different universe. So, there. Um, but unlike a uh, a crisis on infinite earths or secret wars where doom takes over, um, you know, you know, nothing's going to fundamentally happen (laughs) you know you know that at the end of the day there's still going to be a superman at the end of the day there's still going to be a spider-man um there may be little tweaks to who the character are but who the characters are but and and those characters are still going to go on the dc universe is still going to survive the marvel universe is still going to survive they're not going to completely destroy everything and then you know build everything back up with all new characters. They just don't do that. Um, But with this book, um, you don't know who's going to live and who's going to die. You think that the Sangari, who's the the family that the story revolves around, are all going to survive, but that's not guaranteed. You know, death is really possible here. Um, As, you know, as it's just not in superhero um, stories or in stories of um, long-running franchises that, you know, just, no, there's, there's too much money to be made. Um, but uh, I think the only one that's not like that would probably be uh, Savage Dragon because they actually kill characters, right? Or if they bring characters back, they're like mangled cyborgs or something, <laughs> you know? Um but this one is just like, it, there's like a sense of, I don't know what's going to happen next, thought the whole thing. Um, and it's just really good. Um, the covers, apparently, for each one, <laughs> for each uh, chapter, I don't know if this is for the issues as well, I'm going to assume that it is, um, the individual issues, they were based on um, movies. They take the, the bitter root name and it'll put it in the uh, sort of like an homage to uh, black movies from the 90s mostly um, like there's like a one for boys in the hood there was one for do the right thing there's one for dead presidents you know um, that was really cool <laughs> you know I looked at that and I was like yeah this is how you can tell this is by black creators you know um <clears throat> I'm not saying the white creators couldn't do it, but they, I mean, do you really think that you'd see a, a dead president's homage, you know, on, on something that's created by a, uh, a white creator? I mean, they, they could, in fact, I have seen, um, movie homages before, but it wasn't like that deep of a cut. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's some people who are listening to saying, what the hell is dead president's? 
But anyway, um, let's see. Yeah, uh, I recommended volume one of Bitterroot and I recommend volume two of Bitterroot. Um, just really, really good storytelling. Um, and, oh, and at the back, there are a bunch of text pieces that talk about um, black history, black art. Um, not all by black writers. So if you're worried that this uh, book is too black, um, there are white characters in it. There are uh, white creators and there are white um, contributors. So you should check it out if you get a chance. Like I said, I think you'll probably like it. All right. Um, there are a couple of uh, Kickstarters that I uh, recently um, backed, and I've, I've had the the uh, rewards for a while, but I um, actually just got around to reading a couple of them, and I just want to talk about them because I like the the concept of them. Um. The first one is like, what is it? It's by Afterburn Press. And it's called, uh, I think it was called Tales of the Dark Tunnel. And basically, what uh, what the creators have done, at least in one, because there, there's, I got two books. One is called um, Tales of the Dark Tunnel, uh, Atoman, Magno, the Magnetic Man, and Flame Girl. Um, and there's also one called Tales of the Dark Tunnel Freaks and Gods. Um, this is like a like a giant size collector's edition, which is just a little bit bigger than a regular comic. Um, now, the first one, Atomo Man, Magnol Flame Girl. They're a bunch of uh, public domain characters that have been that are being used. By Afterburn uh, Press, and I think it's uh, pretty cool. The Dark Tunnel is basically just what it is. It's like this this uh, stone tunnel that appears out of nowhere and sort of draws the heroes in through it. And when they come in through from different worlds, in fact, um, they have to come together and like defeat a foe and then when it's over the tunnel sucks them back through and I don't know if it drops them off where they were originally taken from because each of them are taken from some like really dire situation <clears throat> and um, the, I don't know like I said I don't know if that's where they would drop back off uh, for example Flame Girl and I guess Flame Man were teamed up and Flame Man or just the flame, I can't remember what his name is now, was wounded and might have even been dead, but she was taken away by the dark tunnel, so she was worried about him. Um, Magna, I think, was sort of a little bit crazy. <laughs> or Tao Man, one of them was just a little bit crazy. But the other one was just like, hey, yeah, you're Flame Girl. You took off. You took over after Flame Man was killed. She was like, no, he's not dead. I said, well, in my world, <laughs> he was. And then, like, uh, one of the other worlds, um, he had never heard of the other two. So I thought that was, like, a pretty cool thing to show that they're from different realities. Brought together to fight a common foe. And then they 
uh, defeat the foe, actually piss the foe off <laughs> to the point where it's like this big cosmic uh, creature, sort of like um, sort of like uh, Galactus, you know. But this person's, uh, this entity's um, motivations are a little bit more complicated than Galactus. Because think about it, Galactus's uh, whole motivation is, uh, I'm hungry, you know. Um, this guy is not just hungry. Uh, so I thought it was pretty cool. And the, the other part was uh, Freaks and Gods, where it takes uh, three other characters and um, does the same thing. That they're, they're going to fight something. But I haven't actually finished this issue yet. Um, but there's one character. Uh, was it Steven Stephanie? Steve Steph Alexander, who... Um, switches sexes switches entire bodies I think one second he's a male next second she's not you know um, there's uh, the first god at whom and the silver knight barcast who's like a uh, a wolf and they um, they uh, they're going on journeys and adventures and traveling uh, from realm to realm, hoping the next will break the curse or return them home, which kind of reminds me of uh, Quantum Leap. But anyway, um, yeah, that, so that was one Kickstarter I got, and that's pretty cool. Um, the other one I got is <laughs> called the First Comics Encyclopedia. And basically, and I don't know if any of these are public domain characters, but standard comics created sort of like their version of who's who or um the official handbook to the marvel universe um but it's their characters you know uh <laughs> and what i really like about it is that these characters are completely thought out they even have um, adventures where it says, you know, oh yeah, you can catch, uh, you know, they'll, oh, hold on, let me see. Uh, oh yeah, hold on a second. Okay, wow, that didn't work the way I wanted it to. I tried to pause something, but, um, yeah, it didn't work. Anyway, um, standard comics encyclopedia it does have some, um, old uh characters um oh jeez uh okay here it is um welcome to the uh, encyclopedia where you find entries on the colorful characters of the standard comics universe including information on their personal data personality history powers and abilities let's pretend it's a summary of a larger series which i like that um so uh, he started commissioning comic art in 2010 and settled into pieces featuring old public domain superheroes with the idea that Standard Comics, which was a real company until the 1950s, bought all these characters and published them together in the shared universe. Um, basically, the idea was each of the fake characters interior to these imaginary comics were a window to another universe. You know, so I think that was pretty good. Um... And then he started putting his own um, characters in there. And it said, uh, apparently, 
this idea came from um, Argentinian writer Jorge Luis Borges. Writing long books is a laborious and impoverishing act of foolishness, expanding in 500 pages an idea that could perfectly that could be perfectly explained in a few minutes. A better procedure is to pretend that these books already exist and to offer a summary, a commentary. So that's what he did. He said he and why write the comics when he can write about them as if they already exist, you know? So like I said, he takes some characters like a uh, black orchid, which came out in 1944. Um, I think all of these, yeah. Some of these like a uh, count Orlock, which was uh Nosferatu. Um, I said that he appeared in standard comics team up, you know, and it, it does that. And so it'll, uh, some thing was like the grim reapers in here. Um, uh, Cyberilla, which was a, uh, first appeared in the Sentinels number one in March, 1962. And if you know, there's no book called the Sentinels. Um, but basically what they say is not only did he appear in the Sentinels number one, but he also appeared in cosmic crossover special number one and standard comics team up number 180. And I like that, you know, and the, to me, the thing is that if he ever did decide hey, you know what, I am going to create some uh, stories using my own characters as well as these public domain characters. He already has outline for years, if not decades, of stories. And once again, I like that concept. I like that they're thinking outside of the box, Um, which uh, which is a stupid cliche that I really feel bad for even letting it fall out of my mouth. But um, in this case, I, I, like I said, I, I like that. They're, they're thinking differently, you know. Um, basically, it, it takes balls to say, eh, fuck it, I'm not going to come up with stories. I'm just going to come up with characters and outlines. Uh, I like that. Anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, so that's that. All right. Now, this particular show was... Um, <laughs> I actually recorded in bits and pieces, as you can tell, over the uh, course of several weeks. So, um, I hope you liked it. Um, and if not, it's kind of too late. Try to listen to it. You know, you already listened to me make a bunch of noise. A bunch of comic book noise. Take it easy. Oh, my God.